Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp, joined here by my Swamp 24-7 co-host, Blake Alderman. Blake, we got a little bit of news to get to before we begin kind of a Q&A session on this episode of the podcast. Uh, recruiting news, something right up your alley. Florida landed a commitment from four-star receiver Isaiah Bond. Why don't you tell us a little bit about him and what Florida's getting with this commitment? You know, a quality receiver from the Peach State, but not only... Um, a quality receiver, but when you look at some of the guys that Florida's landed over the last couple cycles, you know, I call those taller guys, you know, trees, you know, Florida's landed a lot of those tree guys, you know, those six, three and up big body kind of guys who may have some speed on their hands. Isaiah Bond in the state semifinals for Georgia last, uh, last weekend, um, he ran a 10, four, eight, um, in the hundred meter dash. I mean, this is a fast kid, you know, elite track speed that translate to the football field. You know, his first clip on his huddle tape is in the state championship game from Georgie place for Buford high school, who won a state championship last year against Lee County. Um, the first, you know, first clip on his, on his highlight tape is him going long, you know, kind of taking the top off that defense, catching a touchdown, breaking a couple tackles on the way to the end zone. So, you know, a guy that has big time track speed, like I said, maybe not quite as polished as a receiver, which isn't out of the ordinary for some of these guys coming out of high school. You know, you've got a guy like Billy Gonzalez in Florida who has done a good job developing guys, you know, teaching them the little things that makes them those, you know, takes a, a good receiver to a great receiver at the next level. So, you know, really good get for Florida. He ranks as a, as a three-star on the 24-7 sports composite, which averages all the rankings, you know, ESPN 24-7 rivals. Um, but on 24-7, they're much higher than him. You know, he's, a, he's the number 237 overall player in the class, four-star player. So big get for Florida committing to them um, over guys like Alabama, Georgia, who were recruiting him as a cornerback, you know, Texas, you know, Miami was the early on leader there that, you know, kind of changed the tides. He actually visited Florida, or excuse me, visited Miami for a, uh, you know, off-campus, uh, or what do you call it, a self-guided type visit where he was there. You know, this is a guy that a couple months ago was pegged to Miami. Florida offers, gets things trending their way. Um, so, you know, big get for Florida on Mother's Day. And, you know, it's a guy that you can definitely continue to build around your quarterback commit and Nick Evers, you know, getting him more weapons for the future for Florida. So I really like to get a lot. Yeah, there's two or three things I really like about him. First off, like you said, playing for Buford, you know, obviously high-level competition. Anytime you got a guy that, you know, has the offer list, like you said, Alabama, Georgia kind of in pursuit you know, you're after a good guy. And then I think, you know, just Florida, like you said, you know, they've, they've landed some bigger receivers the last few years. And I think the one thing, when you think back to, you know, Dan Mullen's first stint at Florida and urban Meyer and kind of the, the glory days of Florida football, you know, in the post Steve Spurrier era, it was all about speed. And I think when you're talking about a 10, four, eight, man, I don't think a lot of people appreciate how fast that is for a high school prospect. I mean, that, that's just blazing fast. And I think, you know, I mean, listen to Urban Meyer talk about who they wanted in the draft that they were hoping would fall to 25. It was Kadarius Tony. You know, he he loves that kind of speed. And I think, you know, with Florida's offense, you know, the way it's going, you'd like to see them continue to add that type of speed. So, Blake, let's roll right into the Q&A session because our first question is actually about the receiver core. Florida's obviously losing a bunch of guys to the NFL. I think they've had six 
pass catchers now drafted in the last two years between the three receivers that went last year and then, uh, you know, Trayvon Grimes, Kyle Pitts, and Kadarius Toney. So big question marks for Florida at receiver next fall. The question we have is how do you see the snap count trending for the wide receiver core? With a change in offensive philosophy, will there be a different pecking order based on blocking from the receiver position more than pass catching in like in 2018? Or in your opinion, could we stay more vertical in our passing game given the time Emory has been in the system? And uh, I'll go ahead and give you first stab at that one. You know, I think there could be some maybe more blocking just because I think when you look at Florida's running back room, I mean, that that's a strength. You've got, you know, guys like Damian Pierce, Malik Davis, you know, even uh, Naquan Wright, you know, then you add Demarcus Bowman, who's a former five-star player. I think that that, if you can get the offensive line to really open up holes and continue to improve that, that run blocking game, I think running is going to be a strength. And then you've even got Emory Jones, who's more of a true dual threat type of guy that can hurt you with his legs. I don't know that that necessarily means that the snap count changes because I think that a guy like Billy Gonzalez has, you know, even just over the course of his career has always prided his receivers on the ability to block. So I don't know that that really changes any kind of snap count. Do I think there will be a difference maybe um, from last year where Florida threw the ball as many times to compare to this year? Absolutely. You know, and I think that just goes with the strengths of, you know, Emory Jones's game in general and just having that stable of running backs, like I said. But, you know, I don't know that it really means that the, you know, the snap count changes or, or you know, anything to that effect because I think like guys like Justin Shorter, Trent Woodamore, Jacob Copeland, you know, even Xavier Henderson, I think that those are going to be your guys that you're going to count on this year. I think, you know, I think Florida's, done a good job of rotating through kind of different That's true too. receiver. I don't know that they're going to do that quite as much. You know, obviously they want to get more guys involved. They'd like to be five, six deep at receiver. But when I look at this group compared to maybe last year, I don't think the depth is quite developed yet. And, and I think it'll get there over the course of the year. But I think early on, you're looking at very heavy snap counts for Jacob Copeland, for Justin Shorter, for Trent Whittemore, and then for Xavier Henderson. I think Jaquavian Frazier is a guy that I think in the first couple games, we're going to find out whether or not he's ready to be in that four or five mix, you know, as a guy that's getting major snaps. Jamarcus Weston's a guy that the coaches have really talked up a bunch this offseason. And really, honestly, ever since they signed him back in, I believe it was the 2019 class. I'm going to yeah, I'm going to date myself. I think it was a 2019 class uh, where he came in with Deontay Marks and Trent Whittemore. I mean, they've been raving about him from day one as a guy that, you know, is an, an, a phenomenal athlete. Personally, I haven't really been sold on it from the limited amounts we've seen. And granted, it has been limited. We're talking about really his first fall camp, uh, maybe his first spring uh, in terms of what we were able to see, because obviously last year everything was shut down. Uh, but I think you're going to see really, really heavy snaps for those first four guys I mentioned. I think, you probably won't see quite as much rotation. I do think Florida will probably use the tight ends quite a bit. And that could also, you know, along with the, you know, having a deep group at running back, I think you see the receiver rotation shrink a little bit because I think we're going to see a little bit less three and four wide types type looks and maybe a little bit more 21 personnel, 12 personnel, meaning two backs, one tight end, um, you know, one back, two tight ends. I think we're going to see more of that kind of thing next year. Um, I don't know that Emory necessarily changes a whole lot. And we've got a couple questions about Emory. So maybe I'll dig into that a little bit later and uh, we'll roll into the next question. Uh, is there any chance that John DeLance is a bench warmer? I don't think so. I think that at this point, I mean, you've seen how they continue to throw him into the fire. I don't know that Florida really has those youth, you know, the younger guys on the offensive line. I didn't really see or hear anything that, you know, that they had surpassed him in the spring. So I don't think so. I mean, he started 25 games over the last two years. I just don't think you're going to see a coaching staff go away from that kind of experience unless there's a clear head and shoulders upgrade. And right now, like you said, that's not what we got out of spring ball. We, we didn't really get reports that, uh, you know, guys like Michael Tarquin were pushing for that role. And I think the fact that they're looking at maybe Stuart Reese inside at center, I think 
we've talked about it in the past. I think that maybe potentially limits your options because I think a lot of fans would like to see Josh Braun maybe bounce outside to one of those tackle spots. When you talk about, you know, Stone obviously leaving, Stone Forsyth, you know, Richard Giraj slides outside, but he's a guy that's worked inside for a couple of years. I'm a little surprised, and we've talked about this before, that Florida hasn't really tried to recruit, recruit more true tackle types because when they recruited Josh Braun, that was where we thought he would be. I don't know if it's that this staff feels like it's easier to step in right away on the interior because they can surround you with a little bit of experience. I know they've talked about that in the past with, you know, bringing a guy like Ethan White along. They wanted veterans on either side of him so they can kind of coach him along. And maybe that they feel that's their best way to get, you know, the, the really athletically talented guys like Ethan White or Josh Braun involved early. But I'd like to see them put more emphasis on developing guys as true tackles from day one, because I think when you're at the SEC level, you really have to, you know, fine tune that as, as your sole position. I mean, you're going against elite edge rushers, guys that are going to be in the NFL uh, almost every week, you know, on a week to week basis coming off that edge. So I'd like to see more of that. Unfortunately, at this point, Blake, I'm with you. I think 25 starts in the last two years. I just don't see this Florida staff going away from that. Um. Blake, let's talk a little bit about Emory. We've gotten a lot of questions about Emory. A good chunk of this Q&A is going to be about Emory Jones. Um, first and foremost, I guess, a lot of the questions circle on his big picture ability. Um, he's a guy that's going into his fourth season now at Florida. So obviously, not just a lot of expectations that go along with having that time to kind of be groomed in Dan Mullen's system. Um, but there's even some NFL draft analysts that have him kind of circled as a potential uh, high draft pick. I want to say... Pro Football Focus put out a a first round mock the other day that had three Florida players in the top you know, in the first round. And I think Emory was six, right? Them in the top ten, and they had Emory Jones going number six. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, there's no way. And I mean, maybe I'm wrong. You tell me what you think about um, kind of where I guess these analysts have Emory Jones slotted right now. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm in the same camp as you. I don't, I don't know that. I mean, he's going to have to do a lot to be six, you know, to, if, if we're going to put that as the number to, you know, to ask if that's you know going to be the case or not. I think he's going to have to really light it up this year. Florida's going to have to, you know, win the SEC or at least the SEC East, you know, have a kind of a game like they did, you know, if it's Alabama who they play in the SEC championship game, or if not win that game, I, I think Florida's going to have to, you know, he's going to really have to have a year that, you know, where he take, puts Florida into the, you know, the, the college football playoffs type of year to right. really get that kind of rise up a draft board. So um, do I think he can have better tape to get him some draft talk? Absolutely. You know, I think that, you know, if he comes out and he shows he's a two, you know, a true dual threat guy, you know, because you are seeing the NFL a lot more open to guys that can hurt you with your legs in their arm but I think he's going to have to really show a big jump from what we've seen from him so far which we have seen some flashes of him so far absolutely but he's gonna have to do it on a consistent basis I mean to really move up those kind of draft boards to be talking first round well my thing is you know we obviously know what he can do well I think when you look at what he's done as a runner the last three years particularly when defenses know exactly what he's going to do nine times out of ten he's been a really really effective runner and I don't think he maybe gets enough credit for that you know we talk about being a dual threat quarterback obviously but his ability to kind of hit the hole quickly and be slippery in the hole, I think maybe gets underrated a little bit. My problem is when you're talking about being an NFL draft pick, you're looking at all the guys that just went, not only are some of them real good dual threat prospects, but they're pretty accurate. I mean, you have to be able to throw the football right now. I'm not, I'm not doubting Emory Jones's arm, like his arm itself. I think accuracy from what I've seen is a little bit lacking. And I think some of that could be due to just lack of playing time within the offense. And I think that's going to change this year. Um, but I want to see his decision-making and his accuracy before I'm ready to say he's an NFL draft pick to get to the second part of that question, Blake, uh, do we think he's going to have enough game tape to potentially jump after one year as the starter? I'm going to go ahead and say, no, 
I think by the end of the year, he's going to be a guy that fans are really excited about going into 2022. But I think it's, there's going to be some growing pains. I mean, you've got Alabama in game three. You're going to be going against an elite defense. You know, you've got, you know, some other good defenses on the schedule. I just think there's going to be a little bit of a growth curve for Emory, particularly given the, the departures at the skill positions. We saw how rough that looked in the Cotton Bowl. It's going to take time for this offense to gel. And, you know, big picture wise, that's one of the reasons the defense has to really, really take steps forward because I look at this team on paper, you know, given the question marks that we have about Emory Jones and not that he can't develop to be really good, but I think there's too many question marks on this team for me to view this as anything other than a year where Florida just has to avoid kind of taking a step back, you know, momentum wise. I can see that as well. All right, Blake, next question. Uh, out of the players drafted in the NFL draft a week or two ago, who landed in the best position to be successful? I'll go ahead and start with this one. I think Kyle Pitts. Um, I think Atlanta, obviously, the Falcons had a lot of question marks defensively, and so that's part of going into the draft. Even Kyle didn't know necessarily if he'd be the pick there at number four. You know, a lot of people talked about Atlanta maybe trading back to accumulate some picks and kind of bolster that defense. The flip side of that is the reason, you know, a lot of people had them maybe going defense is because they, they have a pretty good offense. I mean, you're talking about uh, some of the receiving options that they have. Julio, you got a, you know, a veteran quarterback and Matt Ryan that probably has a couple years left in the tank. I just think when you look at the other weapons that Atlanta has, he's going to be a guy that, you know, is going to be able to go in and, you know, if he goes to a team that's really using him as their, their sole offensive piece, you know, maybe he has a tougher go of it because he's, you know, trying to not only get used to, you know, the bigger, faster, stronger NFL, but now he's like a guy that everybody has circled. I don't think Kyle Pitts is a guy that you necessarily circle when you go up to face Atlanta. Obviously he's a guy you're going to be aware of, but there are so many other options that Atlanta has that I think he's in a really, really good spot. I would go Kyle Trask, and I say that just because you have a chance to go. You're a Tampa fan. I'm a because I'm slightly biased, and B because I do think he has a chance to learn from Tom Brady, which Tom Brady isn't the biggest teacher type of guy. I mean, that's been pretty much you know his his you know kind of reputation from being in the league that you know he's if there's going to be a hundred reps at practice, more than likely if he wants to take all hundred reps, he's going to take them. Yeah. But I think he has a chance, Kyle. Being a backup for most of his career, I think, has, has taught him how to prepare, how to observe. And I think that being a – even if you're not getting, you know, the hands-on teaching from Brady, I think just watching him through observation, I think, is going to be a really good fit for him. I even said it, I believe, on our last podcast that a lot of the things that Kyle Trask does good as a player is what Tampa wants to do on offense. He's got these big, tall receivers. He's got, you know, different varieties of receivers there. He's got a defense that's going to really play well for him if, if Bucks can play the type of defense they did in the playoffs. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, it's, it's a really good fit for him. I don't think he's a guy that needed to – you know, be in the draft to where he's, you know, get picked up and, and make an impact immediately. I think that him having a couple years or however long that Brady wants to be the guy in Tampa, I think that those learning years are going to be important for him to come along. So whenever that day, if it does come, he's ready. And I think that's a really good fit for him. I, I think the observation point is, is really good. I think he's very good at absorbing information, even if he's not out there actually going through the reps. I mean, when you talk about a guy that was a, a backup in high school, even to be able to not only get to the next level into a college program, but then to be able to take over the way he did against Kentucky in 2019 and really just continue without a hitch. I mean, that says a lot about a guy who can absorb without necessarily being able to go through the reps in motion on the field. And coaches always talk about that, you know, guys learn in different ways. Some guys can see it on the whiteboard and they've got it. I think Kyle Trask is one of those guys, but I think the other thing, you know, you mentioned it, 
getting to watch Tom Brady and how he goes through his preparation, how he motivates his teammates. I think a lot of the intangibles are what makes that such a great fit for, for Kyle Trask more so than the actual system itself or the opportunity he has to potentially become a starter in the next few years. Just, you know, being able to watch Tom Brady go through the motions. I think, uh, I think that's an unbelievable opportunity for Kyle Trask. Wait, let's take one more question unless you got something to add. No, I was actually going to take the, the next stab at reading the next one off for you. There you go. Read the next one, and then we'll take a quick break. Who do you predict gets the most rushing attempts, and who gets the most receiving targets? Uh, so rushing attempts, I'm going to cheat a little bit, and I'm going to say Emory Jones. I think, That's who I would think, too. I think the, with the amount that they're going to run the ball and just having five different running backs that I think are going to be capable of getting touches next fall, the three that obviously got them last year, and Damian Pierce, Malik Davis, and Naquan Wright. Then you add, you know, Lorenzo Lingard supposedly had a really, really good spring with the Marcus Bowman sideline. I think if Bowman gets healthy, he's a guy that I think the staff will probably try to force feed a little bit. When you talk about five different guys that are going to potentially get touches in the backfield, and then you have – There are so many running backs that I don't even remember Lingard in the rotation. There's just that many. When I talked about him earlier – And Emery's going to be in there every snap. So I I think the amount of times he's going to be able to pull it. um, I I would not be surprised, Blake. I know this, this question didn't really ask about yardage. I wouldn't be surprised if Emory Jones put together like an 800, 900 yard rushing season, like to me. I wouldn't either. Whenever you look at the track record of Dan Mullen and that he's had with these rushing quarterbacks, I know he rushes them a lot. And I think that you mentioned it earlier, and I thought it was a really good point that Emory Jones is he's slippery quick because not only can he hit the hole and he can be gone, you know, faster than you would think a, you know, a normal person do, but he's just very elusive when he runs. So I do think that, you know, not only, you know, slipping through some of those tackles, but having that speed to pick up some extra yardage, I, I, I think that's you're onto something with that one. All right. I'll turn the second half of the question to you. Who gets the most receiving targets? Most receiving targets, man, that's tough. I would think that Jacob Copeland, that's who I, I think that just the fact that he kind of has he has the skill set just from when you've seen him run in high school, you know, being able to do end rounds, you know, different things. You know, obviously that's not a receiving target, but I just think the versatility he can have on the field will be able to move him – that Florida will be able to move him around in different spots to create mismatches. And I think that those mismatches are going to lead to receptions for him. Yeah, and he's also waited – in a long time and I think that I think it's time for those wheels to start turning for him I think he's going to be in position to be a guy that's getting enough snaps that you know he's going to produce and I think he's going to be the guy that ends up being you know a guy that has worked with Emory for the last three years I mean you think about it they've been kind of on that backup right they have that chemistry out team but they, they should have a lot of chemistry from that time together more so than maybe a guy like Justin Shorter who's only been around a year um I, I think he's your guy you know, if you were going dark horse on that, I'd say Xavier Henderson, maybe. I, I think he's going to have a big year. Um, but, but, yeah, I got to go with Copeland. See, I was actually even thinking maybe a dark horse being a tight end, you know, just because whenever you have a new, t- a new running back, or excuse me, a new quarterback that is more of a runner and kind of, you know, moving around the pocket, those tight ends are usually like, you know, like your safety net. So I, I was actually thinking that could be a dark horse as well. I don't know which one, that's maybe Keon Zipperer. So I don't know that I could give you a direct answer. So that's why I went with Copeland. All right, Blake, let's take a quick break. We've got plenty of other questions to get to from our Swamp 24-7 subscribers. Uh, We'll take a quick commercial break, and we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. 
Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. Uh, we're taking a, a little time today to go through questions from our subscribers in a Q&A format. Uh, so we'll get to a couple other ones here. Blake, I'm going to lead you off with a recruiting question going into the second half of the show. Uh, are there any recruits who could be on commitment watch that are coming in the early June period? Obviously, Florida is going to be pretty busy during that time. You know, I think the one that just off the top of my head without pulling up, you know, the official visit list, which I am pulling up right now, I think Terrence Gibb, the four-star running back out of, uh, you know, Winter Park area right there in, in you know, Orlando area, he's the one that I've, I've felt pegged, you know, I've, I already have a crystal ball to Florida in there for him. I think a guy that's in-state that could easily get to campus, you know, later on for an official visit, the fact that Florida's bringing him in early for an official visit, to me, says that they feel pretty confident. If you're, if you're confident enough to bring in a guy in that early for an official visit, I think that there's definitely some momentum him there for Florida. I've thought that Florida was a team to beat for quite a while. He's wanting to have a decision made sometime in the summer. He has some other official visits. I believe Florida State and Tennessee are the other two that he has penciled in right now. It just seems like he's one of those guys where the stars are kind of aligning to where, you know, I could see him pulling the trigger sometime in June. I mean, I'm kind of looking through now. Just with a lot of these guys, the dead period opening up in June, it's been a year and a half since they've been able to take visits. You know, I think that some of these guys wait things out and they take more visits. You know, maybe um, you know, kind of looking through things, you know, I think that that's probably the one that really sticks out the most to me, which is Terrence Gibbs. Let me, let me kind of jump around a little bit on our questionnaire sheet here. The, the running back recruiting landscape, Blake, I know, I think you've said on Swamp 24 seven that UF would like to take two running backs this cycle. Mm -hmm. um, is Florida setting themselves up for, <laughs> I'm just going to read the question for another noxing in the high school market, uh, and what has this staff done to make you believe that getting two good high school running backs is remotely realistic? You know, I think at this point they've put out so many offers, you know, and I think that when you cast a wide net like that, that tells me that they want to take two. I think Terrence Gibbs being, you know, probably a likely get for Florida. I think that you've got one guy there now. You know, there's plenty of other guys, you know, Katron Allen, Omari and Hampton, um, you know, Jabrain uh, Payne, um, uh, Damari Alston. I mean, there are plenty of other running backs that Florida is still recruiting there. So just the wide net that they've casted there tells me that they're more than likely going to take two. Will it work out that way? I mean, you look at how Florida has fared with high school running backs over the course of there. That's, you know, where the, where the Knox term comes in there. But, you know, a lot of those guys that, you know, Greg Knox had a chance to get, you know, sure there were some misses. There's always going to be misses in, on the cycle. Dan Mullen did, you know, did kind of, you know, turned down a lot of those guys he made the choice not to go for the some of those guys there's been guys in the past cycles that they you know that florida decided you know or mullen excuse me decided you know hey we're, we're gonna move on we're gonna do something else we're gonna do something different so sure. i do think there is some unfair you know kind of laughter at Knox about the fact that florida has struggled with the high school running backs because i do think that if mullen didn't turn some of those guys down i do think that florida would have had some commitments there did it work out in the sense to where they got some former five stars to the transfer portal like Lorenzo Lingard, uh, you know, like Demarcus Bowman? Yeah, I mean, sure, those guys turned out to be, you know, big-time players that Florida has now. But to me, I think just the sheer number of, you know, offers they have out right now really sticks to me that they're going to try to take two. And I think that just the fact that they're communicating with so many different guys tells me as well that, you know, get one and then you have to continue to look for another guy. 
Yeah, and it's and it's not that Florida hasn't missed on a couple of those running back targets, but like you said, you know, I think the staff, you know, was well aware that there would be opportunities in the transfer portal in both of those cycles with Lingard and, and Bowman. And so, you know, you may not know for sure that you're going to go out and land those guys in the transfer portal the following offseason, but you have a pretty good idea that there's going to be interest there based on your previous recruiting of a guy like Demarcus Bowman. Um, you know, a lot of these guys in the state of Florida, guys that went to Lakeland or, you know, what have you, you have enough contact between players that are on your team and, and are kind of knowing, you know, where a guy like Demarcus Bowman's head at that where you can, you can be really selective in the high school ranks. And I think that's kind of what happened in that recruiting cycle. Um, so I, I'm with you. I don't know that the heat is entirely justified on, on Greg Knox, you know, just in terms of uh, that recruiting angle. But, you know, I, I do think it will be telling if Florida can go out there and land two good backs in this cycle. So, uh, Blake, next question. Uh, we have a question. I believe that safety play will be the weak unit with tackle, then kicker, punter right behind. What do you feel will be our Achilles heel? Achilles heel? Hmm. I would say probably safety. You know, I, I think that, you know, them, I know that's what they mentioned in the question, but, you know, just the fact that they're having some guys last year that, you know, were upperclassmen guys, you've got some younger guys in there too. I think some growing pains will happen. I'm going to go a, a different route, and I, and I think a lot of people, this may surprise a lot of people. Um, I, I actually think the safety play will be okay because I think that there are some really talented, athletic, young options back there. And I think the front seven is really going to make it easy on the back end this year. I think you're going to see a lot of improvement in the secondary just based on the fact that the front seven is going to take a real step forward. I love the two defensive, tra- the defensive tackle additions that Florida has. I think that's going to allow guys like Brenton Cox, uh, Zach Carter, Andrew Chatfield, Chris Bogle, to really kind of get after the quarterback. And we know how aggressive Todd Grantham likes to be. I just think you're going to see them be a little bit more effective in getting to the quarterback quicker. And that makes safety play a lot easier. And so I could actually see that safety group being pretty optimistic in terms of maybe forcing some turnovers, getting after uh, passes that are thrown in the air and maybe a little bit errant based on the pressure. I'll go ahead and say, I think receiver uh, might actually be the Achilles heel on this team. I think I could see that too. I think because lost a lot of guys for sure. And the other thing is, you know, it's one of those positions that works hand in hand with the quarterback. And I've expressed my concerns a little bit about Emory Jones's accuracy. I think when you couple that with a group that is really going to be trying to kind of assert itself and find its footing, you may have some frustration early in the season. And I'm really, really curious to see how a group that is young um, has maybe been a little bit volatile. When you talk about guys like Jacob Copeland in terms of touches and just being involved in the offense, I'm really curious to see how that dynamic plays out, particularly if Florida really leans on the run early. What does that look like at receiver for some of these guys that have been waiting their turn, you know, in in Copeland's case now three years, what does it look like if they're not getting the kind of touches they want? And then, and then frankly, I think the unit is just so unproven that, I mean, let's, let's talk about who we're counting on really here. I mean, you know, Jacob Copeland, Justin Shorter, you feel okay about those two based on what you saw last year. Xavier Henderson, really, really good prospect. I think we saw some flashes last year, but really you're still talking about potential. Same kind of thing with Trent Whittemore. Past that, we're really banking on whatever these coaches are saying. I mean, the guys coming in, you would know better than me. Guys like Dejon Reynolds I know was impressive in the spring. We're talking about the spring against the secondary that really was pretty much all new in the spring. You know, Kyrie Elam didn't even play most of the first half of the spring. 
So uh, it's hard. And that's for not me even to, to talk about guys like Weston and Frazier's, like you mentioned before, that have been in the program for a little while. We Weston really more so than than Frazier's, but again, you know, just yeah. haven't really seen him. You, it's just the unknown there. I, so, I, I get what you're saying. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with receiver is my Achilles heel. You know, I, I think Billy Gonzalez does a heck of a job. I would not be surprised at all if Gonzalez develops those guys and they step in and and kind of play without missing a beat. I thought last year that receiver was a pretty big question mark, and and certainly they showed me wrong. I mean, I never saw. Darius Tony doing what he did, you know, Kyle Pitts, we thought he'd be good, but uh, to, to be that level, I didn't really see that coming. So maybe Florida gets great development. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe safety is the, you know, the weak link, but um, I don't know. I, I, I have a lot of question marks about receiver. Blake, let's, uh, let's talk about freshmen. Everybody loves to talk about true freshmen. All eyes on five-star cornerback, Jason Marshall. We want one player on each side of the ball that we believe will make the earliest impact, and you cannot include Jason Marshall. I'll go first. I think on offense, I'm going to go with the guy that I just talked about, Dejon Reynolds. I think getting him in in the spring, having the unknowns at receiver, I think he's a guy that can get involved right away. I was a little bit surprised, Blake, that, that guys like Frazier's and Henderson didn't really get more run last year. I know that Florida was deep. They didn't necessarily need those guys. But I thought they'd be a little bit more featured. I wouldn't be surprised if a guy like Dejon Reynolds is a guy that is featured a little bit more on offense as a true freshman. I'll wait on defense, but what's your pick on offense? On offense, you know, I was actually thinking Reynolds myself, but then I was thinking about Nick Elksness. You look at just the, you know, and, I, and, and the a, question, the question in general is who will make the biggest impact? Does that mean this year or does that mean in general? So I kind of went more with an in general because you've got Keon Zipper, you know, you've got Kimori Gamble on a tight end next year for Florida, who more than likely will take the majority of your reps. But after those guys are gone, you know, Florida's really going to have to go from guys that they got in the 21 cycle. So I think Nick Elksness, the big body guy, moves really well, had a lot of talk about him just, you know, really playing well in the spring. So I think that that's my guy, my pick. And I think that whenever you look at how Florida made the tight end position such a focal point with Kyle Pitts, who granted is a generational talent, but I think Nick Elksness has enough talent and enough upside to where he can be used in those same ways, do different things, use his big body, do different, you know, moves really well. So I can see some comparisons there. So that's my pick. Defense? Defense was a little tough for me, man. If you couldn't use Jason Marshall, because I mean, that's the obvious pick, you know, that's, that's definitely one. I went with Dewan Black. And I think that whenever you have a guy that's a Juco player, number one Juco player was already a highly regarded defensive, you know, a, a guy coming out of the 2019 cycle when he was a high school prospect. I think when you've got a Juco guy that you knew you could count on, he's a guy that you can do muse in different ways because he's so athletic. You could use him at money linebacker. Mm-hmm. If you want to throw him in in some star positions, different things like that. I think that that versatility is going to see him on the field. I almost went Jordan Young, though. Yep, that's I almost guy. went that's Jordan. Who I was going to pick. I think you know. I think Trevez Johnson is obviously the guy that they want to be the answer in at that nickelback spot. But I think Jordan Run Jordan Young really surprised a lot of people with his physicality in the spring. And um, I, you know, I think if there was an issue for Florida last year, in part it was that you know obviously the, the secondary really kind of played off coverage a whole lot and really just gave up way too much cushion. I think from a schematic standpoint, Florida wants to shift that. They want to play more press man. They want to get in your face a little bit more at the line of scrimmage. And I, I think Trevez is going to be really, really good. I think he's, he's got a really, really bright future in front of him at Florida. But if you're talking about guys that, you know, say he struggles, I think Jordan Young's a guy that can absolutely step in and, and have a big impact at that nickelback spot. My dark horse pick for offense long run, though, because obviously whenever you have a guy that's an early enrollee, those are the ones that make the most sense. I really like Austin Barber. You know, I know he was a late addition, but when you look at the body transformations he made from junior year to senior year, he was a stock up guy, finished a four star on 24 seven sports. The fact of how you mentioned before that Florida really hasn't re- recruited a lot of those true tackle guys. I think he's going to have a shot. 
Yeah, I think that's a good pick. I think that's, you know, it's a, it's a guy that, like you said, not an early enrollee, so he's not really on my mind, but right. definitely a guy that could have an impact. Early enrollee is going to definitely make the most impact just because they've been in the program long, they've had a chance. But that's that's one that I did, I when I was scanning through the commitment list, that's one that I did say, hmm. Okay, I got a question for you because I don't really have a whole lot of insight on this just yet. Uh, what are your general thoughts on Jules Montanar's recruiting ability this far? You know, I think that, you know, him being a younger guy, um, I think he's really come in and he's been really aggressive. You've seen him just recruiting different guys, you know, from safety guys, from cornerback guys, from guys in his area of Tampa Hillsboro, you know, Polk County and those kind of areas. I think that he's going to have some time to, you know, kind of build his name because yes, he's worked at different places like Alabama and Georgia in an off field role came from USF. So there's some familiarity with the central, you know, with the central Florida, you know, maybe Florida part of the state. I think that he's going to be hungry enough and he's going to put enough effort into recruiting that I think he's going to be one that can continue to build those relationships. And I think he's one that maybe won't have the biggest impact this year. I think he'll have a lot of effort this year and I think he'll get some guys. And if he can get some guys, that's obviously going to fast track this type of thing. And what I'm talking about will be wrong, but I think that if he can continue to keep on the effort that he has, I think he can continue to be hungry enough and he can build his name up. And I think he'll be a good recruiter in the long run. All right, Blake, uh, what do you see as the biggest position need for 2022? Offensive tackle offensive line but offensive tackle in general I think Florida's done a really good job with interior part of the offensive line but I think the tackle positions left a lot to be desired and I think that they really need to not only get some some bodies in there that are more true tackle guys but start getting some of those guys like a Tyler Booker you know a four-star offensive lineman top 100 guy that is going to come in and you don't have to come in and develop in as much sure every lineman every player needs development but if you can get those guys that already have a high ceiling I mean that that's that's the ideal move for Florida yeah I, I did a, a breakdown of the scholarship chart and kind of the numbers for the you know the next class coming up earlier this week and that was the one spot that jumped out I think Florida needs to take anywhere between two to four offensive linemen just to kind of keep pace with numbers keep the classes balanced so again you have ideally every year you have not just you know a, a chunk of upperclassmen to choose from but you have some developing younger guys and maybe one or two of those younger guys get involved early and become some of your multi-year starters but I, I don't think there's any question that O-line is is the spot where Florida really needs to focus in 2022 Blake, I got a, a question for me here. Uh, they want to know if I've tried the new 8% white claws yet and uh, how white That's why I laughed did, earlier. <laughs> how white girl wasted I get. Uh, no, I actually haven't, dude. So uh, this may sound completely ridiculous, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to out myself here. So I've been doing um, like margaritas lately. And uh, my one thing about margaritas is they get like too sweet, right? Like, so I can only drink like one of them or whatever. Uh, so what I've been doing is I've, I've been doing like the, you know, the margarita mix with the, you know, keel and all that. And then I'll take like a, not a white claw, but I've been doing a, it's like Topo Chico. You ever heard of those? No, I haven't. Okay. They're like, they're seltzers like that. But they're like tropical flavors. So what I'll do is I'll like cut the drink a little bit by putting a little bit of the like mango or pineapple seltzer in there. So it's like, <laughs> it's like a seltzery margarita, but dude, it's, it's delicious. And y'all can make fun of me on the boards. Don't care. You should try it. It's really, really good. Sounds like my wife, mad. Brooke. My wife, yeah. Brooke, she's a vodka soda type girl. So she's go, definitely man. the basic, the basic like, girl drink. It's like somewhere. But she'll put a white claw like a, in there with those. And I'm like, oh, yeah. you're like a, you yeah, have a problem. Like this is double the alcohol. What are, what are yeah. you, this is, that's what, that is a definition of white girl wasted. Putting alcohol on top of your alcohol. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. babe. But you know, you, I'm worried. I'm really worried about you. Yeah, man. Try it out. Uh, Margarita Seltzer. It's, that's my new recommendation. Uh, let's, let's continue. Blake, uh, we got a really, really general question here and you can go any direction you want with this. Maybe I'll start off, uh, just thoughts on how the season will go. Um, I think, like I said, I, I think there's going to be a, a, a learning curve, particularly on the offense. I think the defense, you know, I think, I 
expect the defense to take a little bit less time to get settled. You know, I think there's going to be some issues in the back end, but I think the front seven is going to be good enough uh, that you're going to feel pretty good about the defense early on. I just see the schedule setting up. I, I don't know how that Alabama game is going to go. You know, Alabama has a new quarterback to break in. They've got some question marks. Um, I'm not expecting Florida to win that game. And so from that standpoint, it really the next couple weeks with Kentucky and Tennessee, as long as you get through those unscathed, really to me, you turn to that October stretch where you have LSU and then you have a bye week and then you have Georgia. I, I think for Florida to maintain, they've got to win at least one of those three games between Alabama, LSU, Georgia. LSU really, again, should be a relatively down LSU team. So if you can't get by them, you got problems. I mean, that really was what sunk Florida season last year was they lost to an LSU team they had no business losing to. I think if you get through into the Georgia game with one loss, anything can happen, man. Like Dan Mullen's a good game planner. I think Florida's defense is going to be – I'm expecting them to be a lot better. I think they're going to be very aggressive, and I think they're going to probably be a unit that starts to force more, more turnovers. And that gives you a chance in a game against Georgia. So, you know, I, I could see anywhere from a one-loss season to a four-loss season. You know, if, if things go badly against Alabama, for some reason you trip up against a Kentucky or a Tennessee, things look really different really quickly. So I don't really know. This year is kind of in some ways a prove-it year for me because, you know, Florida does have to prove that it can maintain after it loses a lot of guys. And we're starting to get into the period where it's going to be mostly Dan Mullins guys contributing. And so I don't have a good answer on that. I think it's going to depend on how this team kind of manages the ebbs and flows of the season. Right. And I'm kind of on the same page with you. You know, I, I, it's really a hard question to figure out how the season will go. I mean, I, I think it'll be good enough because I do think Florida schedule does set up, you know, sure. There are some games that are a little bit harder than others. You know, Alabama, like you mentioned, the Georgia game's never easy. LSU, we'll see how they fare after last year where they had a down year. But I think for the most part, a lot of these games, Florida can win, you know, but they lose so many guys on that offensive side of the ball where, the, you know, they had that high-powered offense that really carried them through a lot of games. The defense is going to have to step up, and I do think that adding guys you know, like Antonio Shelton, Daquan Newkirk is going to help them along the offensive – or excuse me, the defensive line to be more flexible with guys like Brenton Cox, Zach Carter. I think that's going to start to keep guys out of – from getting clogged at the linebacker position, clogged in some of those holes and getting blocked up. And I think that that's going to – obviously, it's just going to be such a trickle-down effect for other parts of the defense. You know, if some of those guys on the offensive side can step up, you know, I think that Florida can have – I think they can get to a 1-2 loss type of year. But, you know, if not – if things don't go as well and there are some growing pains and they're a little bit more, you know, heavier than what, you know, you would think heading into the year, you know, I, it's – it's a hard question, like I said, because I do think there are so many different scenarios because it's just so many unprovens on the Florida's offensive side after losing so many surefire guys that you know are going to be big-time players on offense last year. All right, Blake, final question. We'll finish up with Emery Jones. How productive do we think Emery will be relative to Felipe Franks and Kyle Trask this year? In terms of the passing or just in general? Production, just kind of in general. Where does he fit in that Felipe Franks to Kyle Trask kind of sliding scale, so to speak? I think when you look at what Kyle Trask did throwing the ball last year, I think it's hard to match that. And, I, you know, just he had a really you know, big – I mean, he was a Heisman finalist. You know, that's a hard effort to match. But I think with the fact that he can throw and run, I think that his production can be on par just because he can do different things. You know, Felipe Franks, yeah, they ran him. Kyle Trask, yeah, you know, he did some running, very little. But I, I think that you're going to see Emory be run so much more. I think that's going to make defenses kind of cheat down on you to watch the run there. And I think that's going to open up some things in the passing game. So I think overall from just being able to do different things I think his production can be on par maybe not from a passing standpoint because like I said it's just hard to match those numbers trusted but I think that Emory being such a versatile dual threat type of player I think can keep his production up I think um you know when I when I think back to Felipe Franks in that 2018 season 
Yes, Felipe Franks was athletic enough to be a running quarterback. He never seemed super comfortable doing that to me. No, was, not at it all. It really wasn't until the second half of the season, you know, that South Carolina game where you really started to see him embrace kind of becoming a runner. And even then, it just it, – it felt It was clunky. like a power run type thing too. It was a power too. run kind of – and he didn't really seem fully comfortable with it. I think you're going to see Emory Jones be a lot more comfortable kind of running this offense. I think that's kind of what he was built to do. It's what Dan Mullen recruited him to do. I think it's going to look a lot more fluid. You know, I mentioned earlier in the show, I, I could easily see a scenario where Emory Jones rushes for 800, 900 yards and leads the team in rushing. I mean, I, I legitimately believe that. I think he's got the breakaway ability to break some of those long runs, Lamar Jackson style, you know, kind of running. Um, I have my doubts about the passing game, and we've talked about that, the accuracy, the decision-making. I When I think about what, to me, this offense is most likely to look like, I think – very much it'll look like, you know, your typical Dan Mullen read option and all that. But I think you're going to see a separate kind of segment of plays where things break down and Emory Jones is able to make things happen as they break down. I really think back to, I think it was 2015 at LSU where Will Greer had gotten popped the week before um, Florida goes in with a very, very kind of rudimentary game plan with um, Treon Harris and really, you saw Treon just get really comfortable with Antonio Callaway. And Florida, surprisingly, was pretty competitive in that game, really just playing backyard football. I think Emery is going to be he's, – he's obviously, you know, intelligent enough to, I think, really get the system. And he'll play within the system sometimes. There's also going to be times where things break down. And I think if his receivers are able to get on the same page and kind of improv, so to speak, I, I think Florida can be really, really fun to watch. You know, you'd like to do that where it's it's – only on, you know, when plays go off schedule rather than like something that becomes like a consistent part of the offense by design. But I do think that Florida is going to have that. And so when you talk about productivity, I, I think Emory Jones will be more productive than Felipe Franks was in 2018. Um, yeah. I don't know what the numbers will look like necessarily. I do think Florida is going to have to manage games based on its defense, based on the fact that they can run the ball. So I'm not sure they're going to put up all these gaudy numbers. Like last year, let's, let's be honest with you a lot of the big numbers that Kyle Trask and the offense put up were because they had to, because the defense kept giving up score after score after score. I don't think Florida's as a team is going to be built that way next year. And so I think it will be a lot about kind of control the clock, control game scenarios, and you'll be able to use Emory Jones's legs within the offense to do that. Um, but I do think you're also going to see an element of unpredictability when things break down. And I think that's going to be a lot of fun to watch for Florida fans. No doubt. We'll see how it goes, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be a fun year for sure. Absolutely. All right, Blake, well, we hit on a lot of stuff there. We will obviously, you know, continue to do these Q&As, particularly in the offseason when there's not as much going on. I know we have some basketball news that will probably end up coming out in the next couple of days on assistant coaching hires. Maybe we'll shoot a quick reaction video uh, slash podcast on that. But for now, guys, that's going to do it for this episode of the Swamp 24-7 podcast. Thank you to everybody that chimed in with questions. Uh, if you're if you're listening to this on a podcast platform, be sure to leave us a nice review. If you're watching it on YouTube, be sure to like the video if you enjoyed the content. Hit subscribe on the channel, and we'll be back with more Florida Gators content from Swamp 24/7 in the future. Thanks for enjoy your eight percent white claws and enjoy the margarita <laughs> seltzers. <laughs> Signing off, guys. Thanks. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. 
This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.